I have two scripture readings. One of them I'm going to read to you right now, and it will be from Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, this is a dream that he had. So I'm going to start with verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm just going to read down through about verse 4. Now, normally, whenever I've been here before, I use the English Standard Version. I know that some of you out there still like the King James Version, and if you do, you ought to be happy today because I'm going to do my readings out of the King James Version. Simply because there are certain passages that if you're in my age bracket, certain passages just don't sound right if you're not using the King James Version. I know that's not the case, really, but that's the way I feel anyway. But Isaiah chapter 6, he said, this, Isaiah is writing this. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Don't you know that that would wake you up if you had that dream during the middle of the night? We're going to also look at another passage here in a little bit, and it will come from Isaiah chapter 41. Now, I had, whenever Brother Blake asked me if I could fill in this Sunday, and I was, I know that y'all have been, you know, going through the Bible, and I said, well, where are y'all in in your series on the Bible? And he said, well, he said on that first Sunday I'm going, he said it's going to be from Isaiah. Now, he didn't put any limits on me about where I wanted to preach. And so this is not the way I normally preach a sermon, but I'm, I'm going to kind of talk about Isaiah as far as just uh, the themes that are in Isaiah. I love Isaiah, and it's a beautiful book. And uh, as a matter of fact, my mother's favorite passage in all the Bible came out of Isaiah chapter 40. We'll read it here in just a little while. And this just happens to be her Bible that I've been using a lot lately especially at funerals. But anyway, you know, I had a friend named Richard Sturdivant, and I wish you could have known him. He went on to be with the Lord a few years ago. Richard was was a hoot to be around. He and I like to canoe together, and we took a few canoe trips and overnighters and stuff like that. And uh, it was fun just to listen to him. Richard always seemed to be in a good mood. He, uh, He didn't seem to let anything ruffle his feathers too much. And one time he told me, he said, you know, Joe, if, if I could be any bird that I wanted to be, you know what I'd like to be? And I said, no, I have no idea what he was going to come up with. He said, I'd like to be a vulture. <laughs> and he said, think about it. They have a great life. They don't have to go out and hunt and kill their food. There's always plenty for them to eat. There are protected species around here. You're not supposed to shoot us. And, and, you know, and you don't have to work too hard to travel. You just kind of glide along in the air. <laughs> well, I know that, that vultures and, you know, of, of the type that we see, they are helpful at times. Now, some of these black vultures that we have now are just a real pain in the neck. And I could, I'll tell you a story about that, but not from the pulpit. Anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but I like to watch eagles whenever I can see one. The first time I ever saw an eagle, it was a golden eagle, 
and I was out squirrel hunting. And uh, it was in the fall of the year, and I was, I don't know, probably 14 years old. And as I was walking along, I looked up on this one tree, and there was the biggest bird, what I thought was just a really big hawk, and its back was turned to me, and it was just perched up on this limb, and I thought, man, it's a big hawk. I'm going to take him and brag about him. And I don't know, he just decided to get up and move, and he spread its wings out, and he was so big, I, my mouth flew open, and I just watched him fly away. I was afraid to tell anyone what I thought I had seen until one day at school, one of our teachers said, hey, did any of you notice in the newspaper the thing that a golden eagle has been uh, spotted around here. It must have just gotten off track somehow or another, came from up north down to here. But I always wished I could see a bald eagle, and now every now and then we do get to see them. I had one circle me on Lake Merval one time. As a matter of fact, I saw one right here in town one day, and it was circling around kind of where the CVS pharmacy is. You know, and I think that those bald eagles are the most majestic-looking birds around. And uh, <clears throat> because just watching them, they have, they'll eat dead stuff, but, you know, they'll like, I think they like fresh fish a whole lot. And uh, they do that. And, uh, but I would like to be able to have the dignity and the bearing of a bald eagle. They look like that they feel like they're something special. And they are, I suppose. Well, on to something else. I want us to think a little bit right here about when we talk about Isaiah. We need to think a little bit about just the mysterious nature or the mysterious side of Isaiah. There's really not much about Isaiah that we know for sure. We know he wrote this book of 66 chapters. We know that. And I know that there's some people today that say, well, Isaiah didn't write all of it. He wrote the first 39 chapters and then a couple of other guys finished it up. But I just don't go along with that. I think he, he did this whole thing all 66 chapters of it, and, uh, but we don't know much about him. He doesn't really tell us much about himself. Whereas if you read Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you read about some of their own experiences and people that they had to deal with, but you don't see much of that in Isaiah. Some people, and some people say that he was of royal descent because his father's name, and we do know this, we read this in chapter 1, verse 1, was Amos or Amos, however you want to pronounce it, and Amos is, I think, great-grandfather, who was, uh, was named Amaziah. And then if that would be true, this Amaz and Amaziah could be the name of a king that preceded them. Maybe so, but Amaziah was not that un uncommon of a name, and we really don't have anything to back that up. So the mystery still stands. Some people believe that when, when Isaiah died, he was put to death by a bunch of persecutors, and he was sawn in two. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, but it does not say, it just says some of these people, some people were sawn asunder, but it doesn't say who it was that was sawn asunder, and evidently it was more than one, and so we don't know whether Isaiah was one or not. Another speculation is this, and it's far more believable. Some believe that Isaiah was highly educated due to the way that he wrote. I think that uh, one thing I read one time, that it said that there were 2,000 words in, I, in Isaiah, 
in the language that he used. Of course, you know he used Hebrew. But there were 2,000 words in the prophecy of Isaiah that are not found anywhere else. And so, if you're wanting to take Hebrew, I wouldn't recommend Isaiah be your first book to translate. But, but there was something about the way that he wrote. His vac- like we said, his vocabulary was vast. His call to repentance that he would give out was something that could hit you like a pile driver. But his words of comfort brought hope to the hopeless and they, and they brought peace to restless hearts and grace to those who strayed away. And Isaiah is, I think, the most quotable of all the prophets that we have. There's a lot of verses that you know about that you probably have forgotten that they ever came out of Isaiah. I'm just going to share a few of them that I like with you. Chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. As a matter of fact, some hymn writer stole some of that. Another one is this. Is, you see this? I think this may be on the outside of the, of the UN building, I think. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. Here's one that you see on postcards. And I mean, Christmas cards, chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And as if that weren't enough, in about two more chapters after that, we read these beautiful words. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I've got two more for you. Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it's talking about how Jesus is our sin bearer that we all need. Or what about chapter 55, verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I mean, that's just a sampling. Handel couldn't have written the Messiah without Isaiah in there. You, you listen to it and you hear so many quotes of Isaiah all throughout there. <clears throat> and, so, and so I want us to think about the theme of Isaiah. And I can, you can sum it up in one word. God. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be silly, kind of like the old joke about the fellow that went home, went to church one Sunday. It was a pretty rare thing for him to do. His wife didn't go with him. Went to church and he came back. She said, well, what did the preacher preach on? He said, sin. She said, well, what did he say about it? He said he was against it. <laughs> now, anyway, but, but whenever we read about Isaiah, that's what we're confronted with. And he, and he drove the, this truth, the truths about him home, about what he had to say about God, and he drove them home like nobody else. In about 740 A.D., Isaiah had a dream in which God gave him a glimpse of his holiness. And then he gave Isaiah... His marching orders, and that was to go and proclaim God's word to a bunch of stiff-necked knuckleheads. What Isaiah saw was something that he was never able to forget. He saw, he saw that he, his, his, the train of, of God's robe filled up the temple, and above the tabernacle there were all these seraphim or angelic beings that were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The, 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 
The world is full of his glory. Isaiah never was able to forget that. And I dare say if we had a, had a vision like Isaiah had, we would never forget it. And it would be a life-changing vision that he had. It says, and, and, the theme, and because of that, we see this idea of the, the seraphim calling out, holy, holy, holy. And if, so if we were going to come up with one word to describe God, what would it be? If you picked holy, you would probably be right on target because everything that we can say about God, every, every, character, every characteristic of his being is, is connected to his holiness. You know, like I said, when Isaiah had this dream, he was terrified. And even the seraphims, they, covered, they had, each had six wings. With one, they covered their face. With one set, they covered their feet. With one set, they flew. Back years ago, whenever we were living in Orange and I was a pastor down there, uh, there would be a, a Good Friday service that would be held outdoors at this really neat little botanical garden. And usually they never had a, a, an ordained minister to preach at it. No pastors were allowed to preach at it, but every now and then they would call on one of us to pray. And I remember one time there was a, a one of the guys there that was a pastor, he and I were sitting together and he was... He was quite a character in and of himself, but he had a voice. He had a voice like James Earl Jones. And he got up there, and, he, and I remember how he started his prayer. He said, Our Father, before whom angels hide their faces. And I never could forget that, about the, this transcendency of God, this holiness of God. I ask you this. The angels had enough gumption to fear. How much fear of God do we see in our world today? Not very much. And if we want to know why we have so many problems in this world, it's not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's because we don't fear God like we used to. We may play, like play games with God, but we don't fear Him. And that's one, another sermon. Now, whenever we talk about God being that way, there is no other deity that is like the Lord. In other words, he stands apart from other gods. Other gods of that day were called holy, but not in the same way as God was. The worshipers of false gods recognized their false gods as being terrifying and different. For them, their gods were powerful. Some might be kind, some might be domineering, some might be unpredictable, you just didn't know. And the worship that they performed for these gods should have been rated X. And we don't need to go into that any further. But whenever we talk about God's holiness, we see something else that's different about it. Just like we sang in that beautiful hymn, Holy, 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 which guess where they got that hymn from. But, whenever they, but there's that one line there at the end of one of the verses where it says that God is perfect in, in uh he is perfect in power, in love, and in purity. And so what we talk, when we're talking about God's holiness, we're talking about something that is part of his character. With, with him, he has power because with him is all authority. With him is love because there's no one else that loves like him. Think about 1 John chapter 3 where it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. In other words, there is no one that loves you like God does because there is no one that is holy like God is. And then there's the idea of the purity of, of His holiness. There's not a trace of pagan filth in it. Isaiah never did get over his vision of God's holiness. And his favorite name for God or title for God was this. 
It is the Holy One of Israel. Now, he called him other things too, but he would so often refer to him as the Holy One of Israel. One person in, their, in a book that they wrote said that Isaiah used that term 25 times with reference to our Lord. 25 times. I counted 35. <laughs> I think I'm right. Maybe his was just a misprint. <laughs> but anyway, but, uh, mean, the thing is this, is whenever we begin to dig into God and to seek His face and to seek what He is like and to read His Word and to meditate upon it, you can't walk away without saying that our God is holy, holy, holy. Now, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> I think I'm going to back up a verse on that. Uh, <clears throat> now, here's a little thing right here. Some people think that, you know, Isaiah wrote chapters 1 through 39, and then someone else wrote the next 10 or 15 verses, and then a person wrote the next 10 or 15 verses. They say because those other chapters after chapter 39, they talk too much about the future. You know, part of it refers to uh, prophecies concerning the people that were going to end up being taken away in exile. And in, the in the, another few chapters talks about some stuff that even goes beyond that. I look at it this way. You know, Isaiah chapter 7, he predicted the coming of the Messiah, and that was a long ways from him. You know, and I don't really think that we should have a problem with accepting this. And so what we read here is this. We read about... <clears throat> The, the change in the situation for God's people. And so what Isaiah did was God gave, enabled him to reach far into the future of another generation, a generation yet to come, a generation that was defeated and deported by the cruel Babylonians. And the exiled Jews thought that God had forgotten them and he had just taken them out of the deck, so to speak. Listen to what we read here in this. And, where God says in verse 27, says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting, Lord, everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. In other words, the exiled Jew thought that God had forgotten them. They thought that he had left them in the dark. But this passage tells us that God was not... They thought that he was blind to their problems. They thought he was ignoring them. They thought that he had become too weak to help them. But the truth was this. Our God is the everlasting God, and therefore he is the unchanging God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He does not forget us. His memory knows no limits. He is the creator of all that exists and by his sovereign will and by his sovereign will and power. And as the creator of all that exists, he is Lord of all. He never grows tired or sluggish. He is not ignorant of what goes in our life because his knowledge is unsearchable. Now on this, you know, whenever we talk about him and say, well, he's the creator of all that exists, I was thought about this little statement that uh, 
Have any of you ever heard of a preacher? He's passed away now. His name was S.M. Lockridge. And he was a pastor of the Church of the Open Door, I think it was called, in San Diego. Not many people could preach like he could. And uh, you want to talk about someone that had a voice for, for this. But he, he, this was a thing that he wrote. He said, you know, people come up and say, well, where did God come from? And here was his answer. He said, he came from nowhere. The reason God came from nowhere was that there was nowhere for him to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. And the reason he had to stand on nothing is there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something where there was nothing to catch and hung something on it and he told it to stay there. Now standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and he struck the anvil of his omnipotence and sparks flew and he caught them on the tips of his fingers and flung them out into space and bedecked the heaven with stars. But no one said a word. The reason no one said anything is that there was nobody there to say anything. So God himself said that is very good. In other words, a little idea behind that is God doesn't need us to get by and being the creator of all things, he has all power, he has all wisdom, he doesn't depend upon us, he never grows tired, he never gets sluggish, he's not ignorant of what goes on in our life because his knowledge is unsearchable. We can look upon him in our hard times as the one with all power and all authority and no competition. We need this God who is the Lord of heavenly armies. We need this one who is the Holy One of Israel. We need Him to be our God. We need Him to be our Master. We need Him to be our Savior. We all become weak. We all stumble and fall. But those that wait upon the Lord, those that wait upon the Lord to work out His holy will and to do so trusting Him to act in His own time and His own time is always the right time, those who believe that He can and will keep His promises, these people will renew their strength. They will refuse to be earthbound. Rather, they shall mount with eagle's pinions. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray together. Now, our Father, we have to recognize today that You're the one that angels hide their faces when they see You. Lord, we pray that you would guide us to get a taste of your holiness, to understand who you really are, that we would love you with all of our hearts, that we would fear you with all of our being, with a holy type of fear. Lord, we cannot say thank you enough for your goodness to us and your patience with us. Lord, we would have trouble having as much patience with others as you have with us. Now, Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon us and touch our hearts if there are hearts here that are hardened, hearts that have drifted away, hearts that have never been open to you. We pray that by the power of your Spirit that you, will, uh, that you will open their hearts and enable them to find you who is the true and living God. Thank you for your mercy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.